you would, turn to Romans chapter 7 and verse 14. I have to, I want to apologize just a little bit, but I'm not apologetic in it. The whole idea that we're going to be scripture heavy today. Uh, we're going to go through a lot of scripture. And I'm not apologetic to that because I think if, if it was all down to uh, the right thing, we just would stand up here as pastors and share scripture with you because that's where the power is. But God has chosen that we use as men to, um, as one version says, the Amplified Bible, the, the loud Bible, I call that one. Uh, but we, to amplify what it has already said, uh, what to show some of the things and maybe give insight to what some of those scriptures say we may not quite understand. But we're going to be scripture heavy today. So you're going to have to listen fast. So turn, sort of push that fast forward button and be ready to listen quickly. There's a Philadelphia lawyer one time who uh, came down to see a cousin in Mississippi and sort of Thanksgiving time. So he came down here and they always went duck hunting. And uh, so this is the time they go duck hunting. And they were heading to go duck hunting. And uh, the, his cousin in Mississippi says, now listen, where we're hunting at, there's tons of ducks. But I just got to warn you that you must be careful. Do not wing one and let it go over. Because uh, we're close to the property of the old farmer, and he's a mean old fellow, and he will cause trouble. If you wing one of those ducks and you try to go get it, he said, well, if he tries to uh, bother me, I'll just put him for everything he owns. And sure enough, they were out there, they were firing away, and they were killing duck after duck. Sure enough, Philadelphia lawyer wings one, and he heads off uh, over to get it uh, in the top farmer's land there. He crosses the fence, and just as soon as he gets both feet over the fence, here comes the farmer around the bend on his tractor, and he rolls over and picks his duck up. About that time, the farmer gets there, cuts his tractor off, and says, What you doing, boy? He says, Well, I'm picking up my duck, and I've already heard about you. You cause trouble when people say, I'm just trying to get my duck. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings or anything. But I've heard about you, how, how mean you are. He said, Now, hold up, son. Ain't no need to get all upset. He said, Well, I'm just going to tell you, you mess with me. I want to sue you for everything you own. He says, Hold up, man. Here's how we take things, take care of things around here on my farm. He says, we do the three-kick rule. He says, the three-kick rule? What do you do mean? He says, well, I kick you three times. You kick me three times. I kick you three times. Whoever gives up first wins. He says, well, all right, sounds, sounds fine with me. So, well, it's my farm. I'll be able to go first. First thing he does is that farmer kicks him right in the shin. He bends over to rub his shin. About that time, he kicks him right in the mouth. When he kicks him in the mouth, he falls back, and the old farmer kicks him right in the ribs, and he's holding it. A few minutes later, he's finally able to get up on it. His knees are wobbling, and he's squinting from the pain and all that. He says, all right, it's my turn. And the farmer goes, oh, I can have you duck. Isn't it funny how we struggle over many things in life? It was just a duck to the farmer after he got his kicks done. But isn't it funny how we struggle? One of the greatest struggles we have in life as a follower of Christ is the struggle of the old man. Uh, some scriptures call it the old man. Some scriptures call it the struggle with the flesh. Um, it's just struggle after struggle of how our desires want to take over what God's desires are. And it's almost, well, I don't know if y'all may be perfect. Okay? If you are, please let me talk to you afterwards. But for me, it's a daily struggle. Sometimes it's an hourly struggle. Sometimes it's a minute struggle. And then it's second after second, I'm having to struggle to, to follow Christ and do what He wants you to do, or wants me to do. Paul knows what this, what this is about. Um, we're going to read about him. Let me ask you a question just real quick. How many has 
How many of you remember your New Year's resolutions? That's what I'm talking about. I'm in good company. How many of you made New Year's resolutions? How many of you are lying? Okay, all right. I made one New Year's resolution, and that was that I was going to go make one New Year's resolution. Um, <clears throat> isn't it funny that how New Year's resolutions were able to muster up the strength to do things, and it's not but just a few weeks into it that we are done. I'd like to thank Todd for taking care of my fitness program today, making me stand up, sit down and stand up. I'm taking care of it today. I'm good. That means a six-pack of donuts. All right. Romans chapter 7, verse 14 through 25. I'll be reading out of the NIV. All right. Romans chapter 7, verse 14. We know, what the, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. So it is a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. Listen, number 15, let me repeat that one. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. Did you hear what he's saying? The things I want to do, I don't do. But the things I or, or the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And in the word, the way I understand the Greek, there, I'm no scholar, but the part where he says the things I don't want to do, I do. It actually means he practices. It's almost a daily thing. And, and my, somebody will say it, 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 that, that it, he's trying to get better at it. Okay, verse 16. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it. But it is a sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Let me stop for just a second. You don't have to raise your hands. Let me ask you this. Are you starting to feel... The same anguish and pain that Paul is putting right here. Can I tell you that many times in the Christian life, we try to paint on this beautiful face. We try to bring our mask to church and we say everything's okay and we smile. It's going to be like God's got it under, under control. God's going to take care of it. And we say those beautiful church words and we make Jesus real big in the whole thing and that's what we should do. But at the same time, we're just basically painting this face. So as soon as we get home, we sit that face down, that mask down, and we're just rotten on the inside. Am I the only one here that's just going, yes, Paul, I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, can I tell you that um, that may be one of the greatest challenges of the gospel is believing that Christ can take care of you daily? We're going to get into that. Because my fear is, is that the one thing that the world wants from the church, we are not giving it to them. And that is the truth that we are not perfect. We so readily put our mask on to cover what's going on in our heart. And what the world actually wants us to do is just be honest. I'm going to tell you right now, it stinks going through a divorce. I know that firsthand. 
But if you saw me the weeks when I was at my church in Tulsa, and people would ask me how I was doing, I'm doing great. God's good. God's great. Everything's fine. I'm doing great. And at home, there's such rotting and aching in my heart and my insides. Now, don't get me wrong. God was working doing that, but it sure was not. It sure didn't look like the face that I was trying to portray to everybody else. Can I tell you that what this world needs is for us just to be honest that we're not perfect? Because what they need to know is, is that we're not perfect, but we serve a perfect God. So let's throw the pain away. Let's throw the mask away. Let's just be real for just a little while. Especially while Paul is talking about this. Verse 20. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer who I, no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this work, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me, for in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I will see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me uh, from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave of the law of sin. Notice here that we're actually talking. Who is talking to us right now? The person that's talking to us right now is showing this deep, dark struggle of everyday life. This is the saved Paul, by the way. This is the Paul after the Illuminous meeting with Christ. This is the penman of almost two-thirds of the New Testament. This is the one who started dozens of churches. This is the saved Paul. This is not Saul who uh, had warrants to arrest Christians that would be killed by the hundreds and even maybe the thousands. Can I tell you, this is the saved Paul. This is the Paul who met Christ and on the road to Damascus and his life was changed. This is the Paul who is now in the family of God who is a friend of God, who has been regenerated, a new living heart. This is the saved Paul. This is not Saul who didn't give a rip about Christ. In fact, hated him. And more than likely, if he was as good as Jesus said he was, and he probably was, at the very sound name of Jesus, he probably would have spit. This is the saved Paul. Now then, struggle here is real for him. Notice that he said the same verses or said the same words over and over. The things I don't want to do, I do. The things I want to do, I do not do because sin's living within me. He said it at least three times. Some shape, form, or fashion. Good Hebrew writing, which Paul would have known about. Known about. Good Hebrew writing. Um, he would have told you that if you say something three times, it's as if it was as true as the existence of God. This struggle is real for Paul. He says, I know about the saving knowledge of Christ. I know about the grace of Christ, but I'm struggling right now. 
I am tore up on the inside. I'm being ripped apart because I want to do what Christ wants me to do, but I do not. And I do not want to follow the old man, the old flesh. I do not want to do what I used to do, but I do it every day. It seems like I'm getting better at it. Can you imagine? I figure that Paul was one of those people didn't have a very good looking head. He probably had a head full of hair. I can just imagine him almost pulling his hair out. What am I to do? What am I to do with this sin that I don't want to do, but I just keep doing it over and over? I'm, I guarantee you, once again, can I tell you how easy it is that we muster up something? Isn't it funny? I be honest with you, I have started to ride my bike. Like, how many days we are been this thing? Almost 120, 150-something days? Yeah, well, I don't, I'm, I'm going to start riding my bike every one of those days. Okay? Better than I used to ride a bicycle, right? That's about 70 pounds lighter to pound, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need to get on my bicycle. In fact, I had set up a day yesterday to go ride a bicycle with some of the church members and you guys, and I'm like, wait a minute. For some reason, North Pontiac has a graduation at 10 a.m., okay? So I didn't get to go bike ride, all right? So, of course, to take care of my ailment, I went and got a six-pack of donuts. Every day I want to better myself. Every day I want to do great, and sometimes I just muster myself up like, all right, I am going to do this right here. I'm going to go start working out. I'm going to join a gym. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to look better than I do right now. It's going to be great. And then I do my half sit up in the morning when I get up out of bed. And I go, ah, you know what, I really ain't got the money. Or, man, it takes me so long to get there. Or whatever. Listen, the things that we muster up to do, isn't it so funny how easily our mustering up to do something or not to do something fails so quickly? New Year's resolutions are the funniest things alive. I brought that up earlier to bring this up now. Isn't it funny how New Year's resolutions are so... All right. <laughs> when I say these words, you're going to go, oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. New Year, new life, or leaf turned over, uh, new, new Year, new leaf, turn over. Facebook is eat up with it. All right. December 31st, it's all about the resolution they're going to make. January 1st, hey, it's a new year. You are, everything's great. And then January 5th, the 6th, notice that the time that they said they was going to work out or they want to do whatever, they're actually posting on Facebook. <laughs> Isn't it so funny, the mustering up that we get to do? Listen, can I tell you, Paul is having a struggle, just like we struggle in the Christian life because... As the Native Americans put it, supposedly, was that a young man, a young brave, asked uh, one of the, the fathers, says, uh, why is it that, that the good and the evil, he says, well, there's, uh, there's two wolves, one's good and one's evil, and uh, there's all kinds of struggle. And the young, um, uh, the young brave asks, well, who wins, he says, the one you feed the most. Listen, isn't it funny that how many times the things we don't want to do, we end up sort of feeding Sometimes it's sometimes the struggle is the it's the struggle between the, the, the just the desires of our heart. 
some of these things that just comes through our minds that Satan sends to us, but sometimes it's stuff that we even put in front of ourselves. Can I tell you the struggle is real? And to be honest with you, I believe every one of you in here that know Christ knows exactly what I'm talking about. What are we to do? This struggle is real. This struggle is painful. It, it, it seems like there's no hope for us. Because even when we muster up our best to do or not to do something, it, we fall over our face so many times. Now then, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Can I tell you that this verse is when it has been translated in the past, it has actually been added on to in some state, form, or fashion because they could not believe that this verse could stand alone. But after much study and much more uh, translating and having the document translated, this is exactly what this verse says without anything else added to it. Let me read it to you. If you want to get up and shout, be perfectly all right with me. Okay? If you don't, I might. Therefore, so we're talking about the, so when you see therefore, you've got to look back at what's there for. We're talking about the struggle. The things I want to do, I do not do. And the things I do not want to do, I almost practice. I almost like I'm trying to get better at it. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. In, in German, it would be nine. No. Nada. Not even close. There's no condemnation. Those are in Christ Jesus. If you don't mind, let me read the last those verses, or 1 through 17. Let me read the, these verses in the message. How beautiful words these are, the way it's put. <coughs> Romans chapter 8, verse 1. With the arrival of Jesus the Messiah, the faithful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer need to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the juggler when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem of something remote or unimportant. And his son, Jesus, personally took on the human condition. He entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it always was by fractured human nature, could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of deep healing of it. And now, what the law code asked for but couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what Spirit is doing in us. Those who think we can do it on our own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle but never get around exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's Spirit is in them, living and breathing God. 
obsession with self and these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self, uh, in self ignores God and ends up thinking more about himself than God. That person ignores who God is and what he is doing, and God isn't pleased at being ignored. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than him. Anyone, of course, who is not welcomed in this, uh, welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, who won't know what you're talking about. But for you who welcome him in, who, in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life in God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if we are alive and present, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, He will do the same thing in you that He did in Jesus, bringing you alive to Himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and He does as surely as He did in Jesus, you're delivered from that dead life with the Spirit living in you. Your body will be as alive as Christ. So don't you see that we don't have to, we don't owe this do it, this old do it yourself. Uh, life one red cent. There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it to a decent burial and get on your get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. His resurrected life you sleep receive from God is not a timid, grave tending life. It's an adventurous, expectant greeting. God with a child like what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who He is and we know who we are. Father and children. We know and we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through and if we go through the hard times with Him, then we will certainly go to through the good times with Him. Listen, guys. We have, we need to remember some things. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will lead us in some of this, in, in, in what we talk about this morning quickly. First of all, let us remember our position. Let us remember our position. We many times forget who we are. To be honest, a few years ago, I went through a, a spell of a little bit of depression. It wasn't clinical depression or anything like that. Just Satan had just been pounding and pounding, and it was time that I just needed to go speak with someone. And I went to a, a great counselor, and a Christian counselor, and the first thing he done is he said, listen, you just need to find out who you are in Christ. You're letting Satan beat you up, and that, that's, that, that's something you're, you're letting him do. So you just go and, and remind yourself, let the Scripture remind you of who you are. You are a child of the King. You are a child of the King. The guy that rules everything. The things we can see and we can't see, He controls. In fact, the words we use, like the hands of God or the mouth of God, the ears of God, here's a big 50 cent word. If you want to write it down, you can't spell it, ask me later. It's an anthropomorphism. Stevie's word. i got to do it at least once every summer to pay back Blue Mountain. Just kidding. Uh, <clears throat> anthropomorphism. The whole idea is, is that we try to put 
human ideals to God. Listen, God doesn't need hands to move stuff. He just wills it to happen. He doesn't have to speak. He just wills it to happen. My God can change anything He wants whenever He wants. And He does it because He loves His children. Are you a child? If you are a child, then you're a child of a king. You're a child of a king. Now, here on earth, I'm a child of a production engineer, which may or may not get me anywhere. But I will tell you, when you're a child of the king, you can go as far as you want to. Now, I'm not talking about a prosperity preaching or anything like that. I'm just telling you, Paul, the same guy who's writing this scripture, says that because of grace and because of what Christ done on the cross, we can roll up and kick the doors open upon the throne and boldly go in, and he's going to gather us up like a little child, and he's going to say, hey, it's my boy right here while he's doing business of what he does. We're a child of the king. You try that and not be a child, be a little boy or little girl, off of your head. Roll up to a kingdom somewhere where there's a monarchy and try to kick in the doors on the throne room. Won't make it. Sorry. You may fall in, but you won't walk out. The king, who is my dad, said he loves me so much that he sent his only son so I could be his child. Now then, um, I got one. Me and Cole work at a sound uh, production place, and so if you've ever been to the Bodoc Festival in the last few years, and everything that you see on the courthouse steps that has to do with the sound and music and, and the, the different acts and all that. Cole and I set that up, uh, helped some guys set it up. Our boss owns all that, and we put it up the night before and that day and then have the different acts and stuff, and then we tear it down. And each one of us, because it's what you do as a roadie, uh, is you get a card that says all access. Okay? And with all access, it means I can go... Where on that stage? Anywhere, right? I have all the access I want. I can go behind the stage. I can go into the front of the house where, where the big board's at and everybody's working and just make it sound right. I can roll up there. I can talk to those guys. And I can roll in the back. I can move speakers if I want to and all those different things to work on that because I have an all-access pass, right? I can go anywhere around that stage I want to. And most of the times, in the morning times when the cops have got all the roads blocked, I flashed that little bag, and they let me right on in to go to the stage so I can work. Can I tell you that we have a badge that allows us full access to God and His mighty grace and mercy, and it's called the blood of Christ. And when we accept Christ as our Lord and our Savior, His blood is poured down upon us, and justification tells us that when God looks down, He doesn't see me anymore. He sees the blood of Jesus. My sins have been taken away. And how many did he die for? How many? But there was that one that I have to deal with every day, right? He didn't take care of that one, did he? But, but there's this one I struggle with every day. Surely he didn't take care of that one, did he? He did. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Let us realize, and this is the one right here that may upset you the most. I set with love. Because what I know is, is the old man in the old flesh does not want you to hear this. Satan does not want you to hear this. It has been banned from any of his mouths or the demon's mouth. They will never tell you this. In fact, they'll tell you right the opposite. Can I tell you, let us realize that our performance is of no value to our salvation. Because it was it your works that saved you in the first place? No. Is it your works that's going to keep you saved? No. Is your works needed so your relationship with God in Christ so it can be fulfilled? No. Stop trying to be better and allow Him to be better through you. Can I tell you, your actions have nothing to do with your relationship to Christ. Nothing. Because if our performance had something to do with our relationship with Christ, then my performance is just as good if not better than what Jesus did, and we would call that idolatry. Hopefully I have not made you too mad. Because Satan hates that idea. Because I tell you, the challenge of the gospel is not believing that God forgives sin. The challenge of the gospel is that we allow Christ to forgive us. We won't forgive ourselves many times, will we? But God, you remember what I've just done? He's looking down and seeing Christ. I don't know what you're talking about. Because justification is the whole, is the whole idea is that we have sinned already. Quickly now. Remember we talked about our position? This is what Judas Smith says. We sin because we're sinners. We are not sinners because we sin. How do we know that? How many of you have ever babysat or have ever had kids? As Judas Smith said one time, do they, do they grow up and start going, yours? No, they always go, mine. Mine. Everything. Mine. It's that selfish heart. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. I'm not going to mess anything, I promise. But right back here is an amplifier that amplifies from this bass guitar that Jim plays. And there's switches on it. I promise I'm not going to mess anything. But just like this switch here do many different things, and just like the light switch it's right outside, it's either on or off, isn't it? Yes. It's either on or off. Chris, you know all about those switches. Three-way switches, two-way switches. There's an AND gate, there's a NAND gate, a NOR gate, all those things. But there's a switch. It's either on or off. Can I tell you that our position in Christ has been set because we are in the blood? We're on. Now, beforehand, we were off, okay? Or we were sinners. We were sinners, right? Enemies with God. But when the blood of Christ was put upon us, guess what? The switch was switched because of what Christ done on us, and now we're no longer sinners. Do not fall into the trap, as I have many times before, 
realize that I have to perform for Christ for Him to love me. You do not have to be the monkey on the end of the rope to dance when the dancer wants us to. We are loved. Now then, let us perpetuate then the things that bring us to the freedom in Christ. Now, to perpetuate that, that means that we start realizing and start living out our position, and we start living like our performance that has nothing to do with our relationship. Christ loved us before we were even born. Christ died for us before we were even here. Let us live in the freedom. Notice that Paul's answer to that great struggle was not more rules. It was not more law. Because if we broke the first law, we would have broken this new law. And in fact, I don't know for sure, but more than likely, in my mind, because I'm a process-type guy, I, want, I, need, I need step one, step two, step three, step four, step five, 28, and 29. I need that. More than likely, you were ready to go, oh, this is how to get rid of the struggle. He's going to go point A, point B, point C, on so No. Notice that he did not give us steps. He gives us this one thing, and that was freedom. Notice that the way that God rules is he doesn't rule with the law. He rules with grace, and he rules with freedom. Now, for those of you who are in law enforcement, you have to show, you have to then tend, and you also have to tell, you also have to demand, and you also have to write tickets because of law. You have to rule and enforce law. We as people, as men, have to rule by law. God rules with growth. God rules with freedom. To be honest with you, that blows my mind. Struggles with the flesh are not won with more rules. The struggle is won by knowing Christ's work on the cross is sufficient. Let us live in the freedom of Christ's sufficiency. Can I tell you that your performance has nothing to do with your relationship with Christ. You can't be good enough for God to keep loving you. And your struggle, the struggle that Paul went through, is actually the same struggle we're still going through today. Because what we'll do is even having knowing what Christ has done is sufficient, we are always looking back. But Jesus, look what I've done yesterday. But Jesus, look what I've done the other day. Can I tell you that numbers right now are telling us is that Bible-believing, Christ-following, that uh, just fundamental, down-to-earth Christians in America are only anywhere from 75 to 10% of those in America. Now, everybody believes in God and everybody's spiritual, but down-to-earth, Bible-believing, is now down to about 10% in America. Can I propose to you the change that would happen when we got rid of our performance and got rid of all the 
of, of what we thought we used to have to do with sin, and we allow Christ to be sufficient in our lives, what kind of change that would be? Can I tell you that your Facebook page would look totally different? Can I tell you that your social media would look totally different? Can I tell you that your lifestyle would be totally different? Can I tell you that your work area would be totally different? Can I tell you that your school would be totally different? Can I tell you that your home life would be totally different when we realize that we don't have to act like a monkey on the end of a rope anymore? We're free to live life through Christ. That the whole lie that Satan says, oh, well, you're just not good enough, I'm sorry. Look what you did. Listen, I'm a minister of the gospel. I can hear it quite often. But you call yourself a preacher? You're still a pastor of fair friendship, and you just don't know? Really? Let's stop living the lie that we can do something about our relationship with Christ. For those of you who have never met Christ, there was a man that came on this earth about 2,000 years ago. Right along with being a man, he was also God. It was the only payment, the only payment that would ever take care of the sin that lives within us was the death of, a, of God's Son. And He came down and He died for us. We couldn't do anything about it. And He died for everybody's sins. Every one of them. Every sin that was ever going to happen and ever had happened and was even happening right then, He came down and died on the cross so that we could have life and life to the fullest with God. So if you've never met Him, today is the day to meet with Him and let Him exchange your dirty and ugly sin and exchange it with righteousness that is only is good enough for God and let Him pay that debt for you. If you've been a Christian for a while, but you're still struggling with that old man, realize that today, right now, there is no condemnation for, for you that are living in Christ. Even though you messed up so bad yesterday, it is terrible. And I tell you, He does not condemn you. Jesus Himself says, I did not come to condemn the world, but through the world, through me, that the world might be saved. Please. Let's stop living the lie. And let's live our lives as if we were free as free could be. Because it is us who puts us in the cage. Let's don't live like that anymore. If you would stand. Some musicians come. Dear God, thank you so much for your love and your grace. I pray that my words were nothing and God, your words were known. I pray that that the Holy Spirit has worked in each one's heart, God, that they would only hear what your Holy Spirit has said. God, I pray now that we would come and we just do business with God, that we would not play around any longer, that we would just be free in your Holy Spirit. God, let me realize that you love me no matter what. God, let me live in the freedom of knowing that I don't have to perform anymore. God, help me to follow you. You're the only one sufficient enough. What you've done is only sufficient enough to make me right before you. Let me live that out today. Let me live it out tomorrow, next week, next month, rest of this year, next year. In your name I pray. Amen.